The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Let's take our Bibles out and turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, if you would, please. We're going to look at verses 32 through 35 in just a minute. Acts chapter 20, verses 32 through 35. It's my honor to speak to you today. Uh, PCC means a lot to me. I came here in 1984. I was a worldly Christian. I wasn't where I should have been spiritually, but I was in a good place. And God got a hold of my heart, called me into ministry. I met my wife here. And so I love PCC, and I'm so thrilled that God has brought me back here to have a ministry at Campus Church and to college. So it's my honor to speak to you. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for you to be here, uh, to be all together. I was, I was so excited to have everyone together, to hear you sing, to speak this morning, to speak to you and see you. I'm excited, especially for the freshmen, excited for you. My daughter is a freshman, Michaela. Michaela, oh, hey, careful there. Hey, hey. I don't see Michaela out there. I, I think she's in row... You, so if you're sitting next to a beautiful young lady in row you, that's my daughter. There she is. Okay, right there. She's waving. I'm the beautiful young lady. Uh, that's me, Dad. Okay. Hi, Michaela. All right. So I'm excited for her, excited for you. Hey, um, I, I, know, I know you heard preaching yesterday and teaching, and I know it's Monday. I would just ask you, I would ask you to engage your heart and mind in this topic, and I think it'll be a blessing to you, not just because I'm speaking, it's the Word of God, but would you engage your mind and heart in what we're going to look at, and I know it'll be a blessing to you. Let's look at verses 32 through 35, all right, I'll read it, and when I get near the end, I'm going to stop and have you read the rest with me, but I'm, I'm going to read starting in verse 32, Acts chapter 20, verse 32, and now, brethren, I commend you to God. And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said... Everyone with me, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We could say more blessed or more blessed. Let's say more blessed. All right, here we, do, here we go. Let's say that one more time. It is more blessed to give than to receive. The title of the message this morning is more blessed to give. More blessed to give. I would submit to you that this statement in the Bible is a statement that we may be tempted to discount quickly or disbelieve. I mean, really, is it more blessed to give than to receive? I know how I feel at Christmas. How about you? I like getting. I'll be honest, I like getting stuff. And so we might look at a statement like this and and say, ah, I know that sounds good and everything, but I don't know if I really believe that it's more blessed to give 
than to receive. Hey, how many of you, don't raise your hand on this, okay? But how many of you have received a card recently, maybe for high school graduation or for your birthday, and you opened it up real quickly, you didn't read much, you opened it up real quickly to see if anything would fall out, right? All right, and then you said to yourself, you said to yourself, in your mind, you wouldn't say this out loud, oh, okay, just another loving note of appreciation, but no cash, right? <laughs> okay, you say, uh, uh, why are we like this, Pastor Zach? And I, I would raise my hand and say, I have the same, I have the same temptation. I think because our default setting is selfishness. That's why. That's our default setting. And so we look at a statement like this, and it's so easy to discount it and disbelieve it. But I I would like to prove to you this morning that it's true. And so let's consider the statement, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Can it really be true? Yes, it is. And let's first of all notice the promise to claim in verse 32. The promise to claim. Okay, now Paul uh, is giving a farewell address to the Ephesian elders, the pastors in Ephesus, and he says this, and now brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Paul, Paul's leaving and he says, brethren, I commend you to God. In other words, I think you're in good hands. I'm leaving, I'm leaving, but you're in good hands with God. I commend you to God and to his grace. Uh, I was watching a college football game yesterday uh, on television, if you must know. It was the University of Michigan Wolverines. That's who I was watching. Most of you are going, we don't care, Pastor Zach. Okay, Uh, but I was watching the Wolverines, and they happened to win, if you must know. Okay, so I was watching the Wolverines, and an ad came on for Allstate. Okay, and it says, you're in good hands with Allstate. How many of you have seen that ad before? Okay, you're in good hands with Allstate. Now, what are they trying to represent there with that slogan? They're saying, hey, if you use Allstate insurance, you have security. Of course, you have to pay a monthly premium, and those premiums go up. Did you know that? So this security isn't, isn't free. It's costly. But you're in good hands with Allstate. I think that's what Paul is saying in a sense, although God's security is free. Amen. It's not costly, it's free. Listen to John 10, 27 through 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. Listen, young people, if you could ever lose eternal life, it was never eternal. It's eternal from the moment you get it. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Sounds pretty clear to me. They'll never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my father's hand. And by the way, any man includes you. You can't even pluck yourself out of the father's hand. Amen. Once you're saved, you're saved and on your way to heaven and nothing can stop that. You are on your way to heaven. In fact, as Pastor Redland preached Sunday morning, great message, you're already there. You're already seated in the heavenly places. In the mind of God, you're already in heaven. That's security. And so Paul said, I don't know what's going to happen to you. I'm leaving, and, uh, and things may happen, but I'm leaving you in good hands. I commend you to God. I commend you to God. I like that. I commend you to God in the word of his grace, look again, which is able to build you up. God will strengthen you. 
God will support you, now the last part, and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. There's the promise to claim. The promise to claim. God is, God is going to provide for me, me eternal life. I'm secure in the hands of God. And he's going to build me up and support me in this life. And then I have an inheritance to claim. I have an inheritance to look forward to. The same God who gives me security and strength and support has an eternal inheritance waiting for me. Oh, this is an important point. Christians who have a giving spirit, who are joyful and cheerful givers, believe in the promise of God's eternal blessedness. They look forward to their inheritance and they believe it. In Psalm 1611, David said, At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Matthew 6.20 says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Pleasures and treasures in heaven and the new earth. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14.2, In my Father's house are many, what everyone? Mansions. I like that. Not apartments, not duplexes, not rooms, not condos. Mansions. Mansions. By the way, that's a good translation. It's a broad Greek word, and the KJV translators chose a word that expressed extravagance because they read Isaiah 65 about the eternal state and these great estates, these great residences with, with vineyards. And so they said, in my father's house are not many rooms. In my father's house are many mansions. And then Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. If you lay up treasure in heaven, if you serve God faithfully, you're going to get there and go, that's my house? And they're going to say, yeah, that's your house. Whoa. That's my place? Yeah. Whoa. That's my place? Yes. You have an incredible inheritance and all that goes with it ahead of you, provided to you by your loving father, the promise to claim, let's go quickly, the pattern to follow. So Paul says, I commend you to God's grace. He's going to strengthen you and support you, and you've got a great inheritance coming. Now look at verse 33. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. This is the pattern to follow. Yea, you yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. Now, that's, that's a, a bold statement, but Paul sets himself as the pattern. He says, you can follow my example. I, you, you've seen me the way I live. I don't, I don't covet people's stuff. I'm content. I'm content. We'll talk about that in a second. But Paul says, you've, you've seen my life. I'm content. I've, I'm a hard worker. I work hard to take care of myself so that I'm not a burden on anyone. And then I take care of those that are with me. And then he said, I've taught you how to support the weak. I'm a, I'm a giving person. I'm content. I'm a hard worker. I'm a giving person. And so he sets himself up as an example. Paul said, in general, I'm sure he had his struggles at times, but in general, God has been able, God has helped me, God has given me the grace to conquer covetousness in my life. Praise the Lord. I'm praying every day to get there. Are you? You know, covetousness is a serious sin. It's an inordinate desire for other people's stuff. 
The opposite of covetousness is contentment. Contentment in what God has provided for you. I mean, covetousness is, is directly against God. I mean, you're saying, God, you're, you're, you're not doing good enough for me. Contentment. Contentment is a wonderful grace that God can give us. The opposite of contentment is to want what other people have. If I just had what she had or what she has, then I'll be happy. If, if I just have what he has, well, then I'll be happy. That thing will make me happy. Covetousness is a mind sin. It seems harmless, but it's a serious sin with serious consequences. I want you to consider this in the Ten Commandments. The first commandment implies covetousness. It basically says this, don't put anything above God in your life. The New Testament says you can make a God out of money and you can make a God out of your belly. So you can make a God out of money in your life or you're just your physical desires. You can make a God out of that. So the first commandment implies covetousness. Of course, the last commandment directly says don't covet people's stuff. And so the Ten Commandments are bookend. There's a bookend there. Don't covet. Don't covet. God said, this is, this is a serious thing to covet. It was the crime that Eve committed. It was the corruptive sin of Achan and his family. It was the corruptive sin. Covetousness was the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. By the way, God set an example to his people by killing Achan and his family and Ananias and Sapphira. That's how serious God takes covetousness. It was the sin that brought down King Solomon. It's called idolatry in Colossians 3, 5. In other epistles, it's said, covetousness is said to spawn many other sins. Departing from the faith, lying, theft, forsaking your family, murder, and other foolish and hurtful lust. And 1 Corinthians 6, 10 says that covetousness keeps many people from heaven. Paul says here, I look to me as an example. By the grace of God, I've been able to have victory over the sin of covetousness. Now, this makes sense, young people. If we believe in the ultimate promise of God's inheritance in our life, why would we live for money or possessions down here? Instead, if we're freed up from the sin of covetousness, we can serve God and other people with our whole heart. We can give our whole heart to serve God and other people. Wouldn't it be a tragedy to have plenty to live on, but nothing eternal to live for? Money can buy you a house, but it can't buy you a home. Money can buy a bed, but it can't give you rest. Money can buy amusement, but it can't give you joy. Money can buy companions, but it can't give you true friends. Money can buy you a ticket to Hawaii, but it can't get you a ticket to heaven. And so we need to pray, God, God, give me victory over the sin of covetousness. Make me content. Make me content. Help me to look forward with faith to your internal inheritance and be, be satisfied with your blessings in this life. And if we have that spirit, we'll be freed up to give our time, our talent, our treasure to God's work and pour ourselves into serving God and other people, which is the most blessed way to live. It's the most blessed way to live. So look at the promise to claim. We saw that, our eternal inheritance, the pattern to follow. Paul said, I myself have been freed from the sin of covetousness. Last of all, the principle to practice, and we'll spend more time on this. Look at verse 35. 
He said, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. And to remember the words of the Lord, Jesus, how he said, say it with me again, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Oh, just saying it again, we, we tend to, you know, just say in our head, how can that be? How can that be? Here's a pop quiz. What would you rather do or what sounds better? Okay, here we go. What would you rather do or what sounds better? Spending your weekend driving your aunt around doing errands or getting a large unexpected check in the mail from your aunt? Which sounds better? Okay. How about this one? All right, which sounds better? Which would you rather do? Organizing a party to celebrate your supervisor's promotion or getting a promotion yourself and a party. You see, that's why we say, this cannot be, this cannot be. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Is that true? This disbelief springs from our sense of selfishness. It's a distortion of the divine image of which most human misery can be accounted for. Lust instead of love. Who's listening? Lust is based on getting. Girls, if a guy says to you, if you love me, you'll... (laughs) And what he says, you know you shouldn't do. He doesn't love you. He lusts you. You understand that? And you have now set a foundation for your relationship that is faulting and will break apart because it's based on selfishness. Lust instead of true love. Lust is based on getting. Love is based on giving. Amen. Greed. Greed. I was at the, I was at the Las Vegas airport on this trip to Phoenix and I sat there and watched this lady play you know, well, actually, you don't do this anymore. What is it called? The, the slots, okay? She, you just push buttons. And she put her money in there. She won 100 bucks. She won $100, and then it just showed up on the screen, and she won $100, but she kept playing until it was dwindled down to nothing. She played for two hours. Gambling. Greed is based on getting. Generosity is based on Giving. Giving. How about this? Conflict. Conflict is based, conflict is based on selfishness. Conflict, most, there's a good conflict, I understand that. There's a necessary conflict, but most human conflict is based on frustration that you didn't get your needs met. Cooperation is based on giving. If we would just understand this, we would avoid a lot of misery in life. I want you to notice the wording. Let's look at it again. Let's break this down. I want you to notice the wording here. It does not say, it does not say that receiving isn't a blessing. It doesn't say that. It also is not speaking of pleasure. It doesn't say it's more pleasurable to give than to receive. And it doesn't say that receiving isn't a blessing because it is a blessing to receive. So how does it read? It says it's more blessed to give than to receive. 
Not that we, we don't get joy in getting. Nothing wrong with that. Please understand me. Uh, I, I enjoy Christmas and I hope you do too because of that uh, I, and other things like that. My wife just threw a party for me uh, uh, for my 50, uh, oh, I shouldn't tell you, but I, I turned 55. Okay, double nickels. I'm double nickels. You know what though? Five plus five equals 10. Hey, <laughs> anyway, um, so you're not a 10, Pastor Zach, you're deluded. Okay, but I turned 55, she threw, oh man, she did this wonderful card for me and this, uh, all uh, gifts that I wasn't, I wasn't expecting. There is a pleasure in getting, don't get me wrong, God's not against that. There's a pleasure in receiving, there's a blessedness in receiving, but he, here's the wording, it's more blessed to give. The key word is what? More. More deep, more intense pleasure and blessing. More deep, more intense, more fulfilling. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I want to prove it to you. I want to give you three reasons why. So let's take our Bible. One more passage. Everyone go to Proverbs chapter 11. I would encourage you to write this down because here's the three reasons why it's more blessed to give than to receive. We're talking now about the principle to practice. We looked at the promise to claim, the pattern to follow, now the principle to practice. And this passage gives us three reasons why it's more blessed to give than to receive. Verse 23 of Proverbs chapter 11. The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. Here's reason number one. When we give... When we give sacrificially and freely, we're acting from our highest spiritual nature. When we give sacrificially and freely, we're acting from our highest spiritual nature. You say, where do you get that from there? Because if you keep reading, you'll notice there's a con- contextual flow. He said the righteous desires only good, and then, and then it goes into this, uh, these statements about giving. And so we see the context is this, that a, the, the righteous has good desires that leads him to give sacrificially and freely. He's acting from his highest nature. That's why he's called righteous. And he wants to do good. His desire is good. Where can I do good? Where can I do good? Think about that. It's an aspect of God's spiritual kingdom life that contradicts and confronts our human nature. When we act spiritually, when we act righteously, we're acting like God and we want to give. For God so loved the world that he gave. Every good and perfect Gift cometh from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. God loves to give. God's a lavish and cheerful giver. Listen, any good thing in your life came from God. Why? Because God loves to give. And he gave us life and then he saved the life he gave us. He gave his own son. Jesus gave his life and his life's blood. Come on. When we give, we're at, when we give sacrificially and freely, we're acting from our highest spiritual nature. And because we're acting from our highest spiritual nature, we experience higher pleasures that go with it. There's something inside of you that goes, oh, I feel so good. 
I gave my Saturday to go on Christian service and I gave the gospel to someone. Amen. You with me? And they listen. <laughs> I went to visit this lady, who, who, uh, this widow who's struggling. It felt so good. I went out and knocked some doors. I, I went out and was a blessing to someone. There's something about it, young people. When you give, you're acting from your highest spiritual nature and you experience higher pleasures because of that. Reason number one, when we give, we're acting from our highest spiritual nature. I see that from the passage. Number two, giving leads to more getting. Giving leads to more get, getting. How many of you heard that? Say amen. You, I don't mind saying that because the Bible says that. Look how it reads. Look how it reads. The desire of the righteous is only good, verse 23, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. There is, there is a person, that righteous person, that scattereth and yet increases. There is that withholdeth more than his meat, but it tends to poverty. There's a stingy person, but that tends to poverty. Look at verse 25. The liberal soul, it's not speaking politically, amen. The liberal soul shall be made fat, I don't know what that means, but it sure sounds good. A fat soul. All right, here we go. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered himself. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him, but blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. Hey, listen, giving leads to more getting. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, he that soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. Giving is the seed sown. Giving is the seed sown to prepare for more getting. Why? Because God entrusts a faithful giving, giving person with more stewardship. He said, there's a giving person. I'm going to give them more stuff because they're a giving person. Yes, he does. Now, there's a caveat here. Listen, there's a caveat here. There's a safeguard to this. You can't give merely to get. That's trading or bargaining. You must freely give, motivated by the grace of God. And then God says, there's a giving person. And he says, I'm going to give that person more. Hey, listen, you've heard this before, but you can never outgive God. You can never outgive God. As I thought about this, I looked this up. Giving yourself and your possessions away for the work of the Lord is like those who invested in Apple when it first hit the stock market. You know, I mean, Apple computers, not fruit. You say we know that. Okay. Uh, but in, in, in 1980, if you gave $1,000 to Apple computers in 1980... When the stock price was $22 a share, if you put $1,000 in, after multiple increases and stock splits, today your $1,000 is worth $1.4 million. And God says, that's what happens to those that are involved in my work. The, the, the effect of it is exponential. The fruit abounds to their account and it even goes past this earthly life and goes into the life in heaven. Giving leads to more getting. Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. Which means, leads me to my last point. Three re reasons why it's true that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Number one, when we give, we're acting out of our highest spiritual nature. So we experience the highest pleasures because of that. Number two, giving leads to more getting. And number three, Giving enhances our relationships and makes them more enjoyable. Look at the last part. Here we go. Look at the last part, verse 26. He that withholdeth corn, the people will curse him, shall curse him. 
but blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. He that diligently seeketh good procureth favor, but he that seeketh mischief, it shall come to him. You know what the Bible says there? Receiving doesn't foster more receiving, but giving fosters more favor. And here's what you do. When you have a giving spirit, stay with me, okay? If you have a giving spirit here on campus, in your life, in your, in, in your, in your relationships, if you have a giving spirit, then what you do is you create an environment for reciprocation in your life. Yes. So let's say two people are in a relationship and they get up in the morning and their thoughts are, well, they better do for me today. Selfish. Well, they better meet my needs today. They better do for me today. Well, that relation, listen, that relationship is going to break down eventually because of selfishness. But if those same two people get up every morning and the one says, how can I meet the other's needs today? And the other one gets up and says, how can I meet theirs today? Guess what you have now? You have a competition, <laughs> first of all. And then what you're doing is you're creating an environment conducive for reciprocation. It's, it's, it's crazy how it happens. They want to give more. You want to give more. They do. You do. It's just compounding and it builds. Listen, getting, getting is what it takes to have good relationships. Excuse me, giving. Oh, what did I say? You guys let me just go down that road. You didn't stop me. You say, Pastor Zach, you are on a train wreck there. Getting? No, listen, giving. Good relationships are built on giving. If you have a married couple and one gets up in the morning and says, how can I meet my spouse's needs? The other one gets up and says, how can I meet my spouse's needs? You got a great marriage going there. Great roommates, great friends, great coworkers, great teammates. Yeah. You can tell a selfish team. They don't play well. Giving. Givers make good neighbors. They make good friends. They make good workmates, teammates, spouses, church members. Givers have better relationships. They procure favor. You say, Pastor Zach, how do I know if I'm a giver? Glad you asked. Here we go. Givers look for needs. They go around looking for needs. They're attentive. They ask, how can I help? How can I contribute? Givers bring a positive energy to any relationship. Hey, listen, listen, young people, don't, don't be, a, don't be a, a leech. Don't be a drainer. Don't suck the life out of relationships. Come into relationships with a positive energy of giving. And you're going to have great friendships and relationships. Givers look for needs. They say, how can I help? They bring positive energy to a relationship. They're compassionate. They're concerned. They're considerate. They're creative. Givers are like God. They're like God. They're godly. Givers are godly. And those that believe God and believe his word, who lose themselves, they lose themselves in the service of God and others, 
find in the end that they really find themselves. They lose their life and they find it. They experience high pleasures. They they experience more getting. And they enhance all their relationships in life. And they can say, as this passage says in their heart, yes, it's true. It is true. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.